Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. I'm super excited today to invite to the show and to have you meet Susan Schwartz. Susan, thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. You bet. So I don't always know my guests. In fact, I would say 80% of the time I do not know my guests. And this is an opportunity to learn about them, fall in love with my guests, just as the listeners will do the same. So I'm super excited to learn more about you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I moved to the Bay Area from Washington, D.C. about 18 months ago because my husband had a fabulous job offer. And since moving, I've been working to change the focus of my company from government subcontractors in Washington, D.C. to Silicon Valley companies out here on the West Coast. For the past 10 to 12 years, I've been working with project management and leadership training and development. And what makes my uh, method a little bit unique is that I utilize emotional intelligence and Lego serious play as part of my bag of tricks. So I love you- that. Did you <laughs> say Lego serious play? That is such a great way to learn. I did. I did. And what uh, the people that I really enjoy working with and focus on are subject matter experts, whether they're IT folks or forensic accountants. I even worked with TSA managers. And they, everybody seems to love Lego. And what makes Lego Serious Play so special is the opportunity to construct something. More important is the story and the conversation that comes after the construction. I love this. So they involve uh, all their systems thinking and problem solving by using something we usually think of as toys for our kids, but really these are tools that help you think at your best and act at your best. Right, because they get comfortable when they're building and it's very quickly and they have to use their fingers. In fact, they don't get to plan. Uh, They say, you know, so much of the thinking um, and the frontal part of your brain is attached to your fingers and your heart. So they talk about it a way of connecting your hands and your heart And that enables them to then take their constructed model, whatever they made, and take a story and then have a conversation with their team. So it's a great team building tool. I imagine. That have difficulties working together for whatever reasons. They have different ways of approaching business. They have different working styles, different personalities. And this lets them see common approaches and lets them get to know each other in a different way than just their technical engineering or programming styles. I can totally see this being a remarkable team building initiative. Um, and, and yes, I love the fact that they engage in some principled bargaining and negotiation and, um, you know, maybe teams that traditionally 
oppose one another or fight for the budget because they don't agree that the other person's job skills are as necessary or as critical as their own. So I would love to see this play out. If you ever have a client that's willing to have an observer, um, I would love to see it play out. Oh, that is, well, thank you. I most definitely will keep you um, open and in mind. Since we've become a Zoom uh, nation, <laughs> the current um, interesting times, I've run a couple of these sessions over Zoom using found objects around the house. So wow. that made it even more interesting. Could you tell me a little more about that? I'm so interested because first blush, this seems like something you have to be there in person for, but if you've successfully transitioned it to a virtual space, I would love to hear more about that. Well, I was fortunate uh, this past month, I became certified as an official Lego Serious Play facilitator. And the man I chose to train with is in Melbourne, Australia, and travel wasn't an option. So he ended up um, facilitating the entire course over Zoom. And I was able to take that and uh, run a couple of practice sessions. And so I've gathered things like uh, boxes of tea bags, uh, CD uh, plastic um, you know, cases, uh, toothpaste tubes, some paper cups, and uh, a ruler, an emery board, some scissors, you know, you just grab those objects and then you're able to build a tower or build an animal and it can get more involved uh, as you get into the session. That usually takes about two to four hours. And over wow. Zoom, these have been more introductory and so we've made it a little lighter. I have to say that certainly does encourage, if not require, your highest and best innovative thinking, you know, your creative thinking, um, especially since you don't have the Legos and that you're using random objects throughout your home or office or home office. And I think that that probably is uncomfortable for so many linear thinkers and it's good for them to tap into their right mind, you know, the right side of their brain. Um, this is incredible. That's amazing. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall someday. Well, let me ask you throughout your career, um, you've probably met with some pretty brilliant people considering your um, focus, your target market, your prospects. What has been your proudest professional accomplishment? Well, there's been several where I've been able to collaborate globally and mesh several cultural um, biases to get everybody to come together as a unified um, team. Though I think my greatest moment is when I published my first book. Um, it's called Creating a Greater Whole, A Project Manager's Guide to Becoming a Leader. And I've met so many project managers who tend to be very analytical. And then they get promoted and they don't know how to yeah. build relationships, how to manage people, how to participate in a sales presentation. And I was an adjunct at a state university in Northern Virginia, and we had a certification course that helped them become certified project managers. And that was very successful. So we tried to establish an advanced program that focused on leadership skills. And we couldn't 
get the classes filled. And I called a couple of um, students that I built a relationship with to find out what was going on. Was the curriculum not right? Were we not targeting the message? And essentially, every single one of them told me that their uh, upper level management would not pay for this leadership training. The response when they took the information to them was, oh, that's just soft skills, buy a book. Yeah. And so I got mad and wrote one. Good for you. I have to tell you, I was trying hard not to interrupt you. This resonates so much with me. Um, for years, I've trained um, lawyers and before that, financial advisors. So these people who are, they don't know what they don't know, and they're afraid to learn something they don't know, because what they do know is what they think is important. They do know these things that they feel are um, you know, I'm an expert. I'm a subject matter expert. I know what I need to know to get hired. Well, that doesn't differentiate you. You need to speak the language of the client, both, you know, verbally and non-verbally and understand how to build relationships and how to lead. And being a manager who can tick off, you know, tasks is far different from being a leader who can motivate and inspire others to do as well or better. Um, so yeah, I, I am just totally, I'm buying your book for sure. Oh, <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a few copies. <laughs> well, thank you. And, you know, it really has reinforced, was reinforced because just before I moved here, I was working, I was invited in to work with a group of forensic accountants. And I was very wow. nervous because it was out of my realm of competence. I then I started life out in IT. I designed integrated voice and data telecom systems. I worked for AT&T and worked on some very large projects and then along the way I realized it's the people which is yeah. <laughs> and that's when I got into project management and leadership so I was very very nervous going into this course for accountants and I asked my contact for some examples what were some scenarios that I could adapt the exercises and and let you know, gain, not ask them to go into scenarios where they weren't comfortable. And she was a very busy woman and said, oh, your gen generic examples will be just fine. Don't worry about it. And I did worry. When I got there and I was introducing the course and said, well, I have very generic examples. If you want to give me specific scenarios, I'll try to do it on the fly for you. And what we found out mid-morning one of the um, students came up to me and said he really liked those generic exercises. And what came out of that conversation was the only difference between project managers who are IT people and forensic accountants is project managers call their units of work projects and accountants call their unit of work cases. And just as you were saying, they're subject matter experts in their vertical. Yeah. When they get promoted, they haven't a clue what to do. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it played out time and again. And I think still today that when some of the people who are of that mindset, that personality makeup, that job description, that requirement that, um, you know, whatever they do to, to make their pay, they still say the words soft skills and roll their eyes. They still, you know, the big eye roll with, oh, that's soft skills. And that has to change. True leadership is transformational, not hierarchical. 
true leadership that changes, um, that, that moves the needle or changes, you know, the course of, of history and your company. Like that, if you're a change agent of any kind, you definitely incorporate EQ and soft skills as they're called into your uh, leadership style. I so appreciate what you do. And as you know, I didn't check you out before. I try not to do that. But you are my kind of woman and what you're doing is amazing. Well, thank you. And I'm so glad you understand what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. Everybody does. So I, I, I have a few recommendations it. for you. Referrals. Like I know a few folks that need to hire you for their teams. Um, so, so people who are maybe good managers, like I said, aren't necessarily great leaders. And it's not that they cannot be. But in order to be, they need to open their minds and change their minds and incorporate new skills that they didn't you know, it may not be the skill they ever made a dollar off, but it's the one that will make them a successful leader and help the company overall. So I have a few referrals for you. Oh, um, thank you. Because it really is an investment. The return on investment and the time that you spend is just so important and you don't realize it till after you've made that investment. Exactly. So, yeah. And I've even been shaping uh, at my offering, something that I call expert to excellence. So it's geared more for smaller groups of people who work within the same company so they can be a cohort for each other. Oh and my God, I have so many plans for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is great. Um, seriously, oh, I, I have ideas. I have like, so I have a network of mostly women who are experts in their fields. Um, and sometimes I bring them in to teach components of some of the contracts that I get or to, you know, you're, you're one of those people that fits right in there where you're filling a need. Um, the audience, the, the clients that I usually have are those ISTJs or those linear thinkers or those focus on finding fault or solving the problem, you know, um, but they fail to recognize the importance of the things that you bring to bear. So amazing. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, this is an exciting, exciting podcast. Let me ask you this. Um, what along, who along the way, I should say, has been maybe an inspiration to you or a mentor to you? Well, I've had, I've been very fortunate because I've had several really strong mentors the one, as I've been thinking about it, is a man named David Foreman, who I worked for when I was working with a startup company. And I was one of those technical IT people who zeroed in on the product and not necessarily the power of how do you bring that product to bear and how do you leverage the people who work with and what was really transformational about my relationship with him is he never really told me what to do. But from his example, I learned the art of listening and reflecting before you spoke. I learned how to think outside the box. I got out of, he got me out of linear thinking and got me into three-dimensional. Even at some point, we did some four-dimensional work which was very exciting. And I think most importantly, which is the lesson I took forward and got the most positive return on investment was the importance of standing by your people. 
the importance of even though it might be really difficult and there might be some political ramifications for you personally, if you didn't stand by your people, you weren't being a leader. Sometimes you just had to work through those difficult times, have those difficult conversations, whether it was with your superiors above you, your peers, and sometimes even that person who is reporting to you. But the key was to always keep, you know, keep your people's back. I love that. I love that. Even in the face of customers and clients, sometimes you have to take one for the team, represent the best interest uh, of the people you, uh, you know, I think a good leader works for the people he or she serves, not the other way around. So um, a, a good leader will, you know, again, lift the people on his or her team to, to become their highest and best self. And sometimes that means, you know, going to bat for them, even in the face of an unhappy customer or a misdirected or, or, or a client who doesn't understand or has misinterpreted something. Uh, and that can be risky. So true leaders are, you know, willing to take that risk. I can't tell you how much I love what you do. This is just well, so- thank exciting. you. And I yeah. need to stand up for the client because I've been in sales and marketing and my most difficult customers were when I worked for a global software company and the people inside the company were truly difficult. And it was my job to unify the efforts of 20 different organizations. I worked uh, in the education department and there were 10 different countries, 10 different countries, five different functional areas and five different product lines. And each one of them had their own business and there was so much duplication, you, you don't even want to go there. I, I, my job was to get them to understand what I was doing and I wanted them to focus on what they did well and then leverage that and bring all the efforts to make it more efficient and get the training out faster and higher quality. And so they were my customers and they were tough. I bet. I bet. But from what I know, I mean, you know, in the first eight minutes of meeting someone, you can kind of tell if you connect or if this is, you know, if they resonate with you. I bet now knowing you uh, all of 26 minutes <laughs> that you could definitely, you know, make the magic happen. So uh, no doubt, I would, I would definitely trust you to prevent the problems and solve the problems and smooth out the situation. So that's, so it that's, works. It's like a seesaw and you're the fulcrum in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And the team who's making it all happen, making the magic work kind of balance out. Exactly. Um, sometimes that's like being a simultaneous interpreter at the UN. You have to speak many exactly. languages. Exactly. Yeah. I get you. I get you. So um, in my work, everything that I do, I always, you know, work hard to give a voice to women in business and, and to remind everyone, men and women, that we need to lift women up and not put them down. How would you advise, not even on a grand scale, if you want to share a grand scale idea, that's fine too, but even just day to day, how can we support women in business? Well, I truly believe in grassroots efforts. You know, apologies to vegans, but you can only eat an elephant one bite at a time. You can't swallow the whole thing. <laughs> and that's one true. of 
another mentor of mine is a wonderful woman named Phyllis Beaver. And I met her at a time in my life where I needed a lot of self-confidence. And she gave it to me. And her greatest gift was if I was having a difficult time or trying to figure out how to work with a difficult person, a challenging person, she just gave me a really wonderful listening ear, totally non-judgmental. And mostly I worked out my own solution to the situation. And she gave me um, that platform, almost like a whiteboard to brainstorm my solutions. And I think that's what we can do as women is offer that listening ear, that non-judgmental um, board place or space where the uh, younger women can have an opportunity to explore and to work through and to, at the end of the day, create their own solutions that they've discovered and that they can own. And then hopefully they'll pass that good karma forward. I love that. That is so important. So when people ask me, what is the number one trait in a leader? Now there are many, but for me, the number one trait is listening, third level listening. So I love that you said that. Yes, if women could just learn to collaborate and listen and lift rather than compete and you know, try to dominate and put down. That's, I mean, I, look, I surround myself with women who do the, 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 the listening and the, the leading and the lifting. Um, but there are those women out there who are still afraid and in their fear, they act out of that fear and they hurt others. And I, I believe when you help one woman, you help all women, just as when you hurt one woman, you hurt all women. So I appreciate that advice. And that is something we can do day to day. Um, there's nothing too grand about asking someone, um, lend me your ear. And there's nothing too grand about actually lending someone your ear. Um, let me ask you this. What has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it? Well, you know what? That is a very easy answer. My son, I have a happy ending. He is now 27. When on his 10th birthday, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Aww. And he finished the treatment 12 months, and then he relapsed New Year's Eve 2005, and we went through another two years of treatment. And so that was four tough years. Um, I, I had an older daughter we needed to balance. I had to stop a lot of work I was doing professionally. and we made it through. We truly have a happy ending. We had fabulous docs, but even more importantly, we had a whole community of family and friends and my professional colleagues. You know, it does take a village. And I knew that we were part of a village. Probably the greatest lesson I learned was until then, I thought I could be superwoman. I was the one that people came to for help. And I had to learn how to ask for help. And what I realized was in letting people know what you need, they could pass it back and give it to you. Um, but they can't help you if they don't know what you need. And even if someone hasn't offered, the worst thing they can say is no. If you said, I had a neighbor, I needed to get my daughter's medical records so she could go to a summer program. And I had a neighbor with us who shared the same pediatrician. And I called, I said, could you please pick up her records? 
And she was like, I'm going there this afternoon, of course. Uh, so you just have to ask people. You don't wait till they offer. If you haven't asked, you need to do it right then. So I, I'm, I'm touched by this story. There's nothing scarier than outliving your children. And so I think that is, wow. I have a, an only son. I have a beautiful 18-year-old son. That That four years of your life, you know, where you're going into this bad news and then hopeful about where you are and then coming out of it and making sure it doesn't come back. That's like, I'm just guessing four or five years. They, they check to make sure that you're in the clear. That must have been a really scary, scary time. So I'm happy that you started with, we have a happy ending on this. And then you told the story because had you told the story without sharing the ending first, I would have been in tears or just, you know, on pins and needles with, anxiety about your child. So I'm glad to hear that it's good news and a good result. And who knows what lessons those types of life events bring to us. Um, but I think that you've turned out probably a better person. I didn't know you before, but you're probably a better person now for having gone through that. Well, and I, I have to give a plug for my son because he did give us a, the greatest lesson, which I do use today in my work, when he was getting ready for his bar mitzvah, his portion talked about how the high priests were designated, the Kohanes and mm -hmm. the Levies, the Levites who were their servants, but they talked about the Nazarites who volunteered to go into the temple and to be servants and do whatever was needed to make everything work and make everything happen. And they, to demonstrate who they were, they shaved their heads. And it was wow. just by accident that this was a story. And we went into the rabbi the Thursday before to review things and go over his bar mitzvah speech, which he had done with his coach. My husband and I had not seen it. And the, he told the rabbi he wanted to talk about the Nazarites. And my son was in the middle of treatment and was bald. And he said, did you, did you select that portion to discuss because they're bald and you're bald? And he looked at the rabbi with the most withering look that only a 13-year-old boy could muster. And he said, no, it's because they had a choice. And he uh -huh. followed up with, I didn't choose to get cancer. But now that I have it, I have a choice on how I behave. That is such a powerful lesson, and especially from a person that age. Wow, I'm blown away. Um, right, and so, right, in my work with emotional intelligence, that's what it's all about. It's about behaviors and choices, and recognizing your hot buttons, recognizing how you react to those, and know that you can control those reactions, that you have a choice how you react. That is really what you can control. I mean, there are things that happen that you cannot control, but you can still control how you react to those things. So a powerful lesson there and a great analogy and um, a good, uh, good thing came from a bad thing. So thank you for sharing that. Well, tell us something that even maybe your circle, your circle may not know about you. Tell us something surprising about you. Well, um, I, because I started out so technically involved, of many people don't know that I was a dance minor in college. Wow. And I 
I accidentally landed in that technical world. Uh, That's I, so interesting. So I think that I know, um, I no longer get shocked or surprised by this, but I think that I know a lot of doctors and lawyers and engineers and technical thinkers who have that side of them. They tap into their musicians or their dancers. That's always a surprise to me that people who live their lives uh, being technical and left-brained uh, have tapped into their right brain and their creativity and they release uh, and show that creativity in such a unique, hands-on, uh, visually impactful, palpable way. Um, that's pretty fascinating. So everything about you has been a surprise to me, but it's nice to hear something that maybe your circle didn't know about you. And, and what a great minor. That, that sounds fun to me, frankly. Uh, mine was journalism and my, uh, my minor was marketing and I have two, um, undergrads, one in journalism and one in political science. Nothing so exciting as dance. <laughs> well, marketing is pretty creative. Marketing requires a great deal of creativity. <laughs> Thinking outside the box. Well, that's what I try to do. I, I, what box? <laughs> that's what I always say. What box? Exactly. So, yeah. That. I'm going to borrow that from you. If I you can. may. You may. I'm not sure I'm the first person that ever said it, but I don't know who did. So I'll take credit. Um, if people want to know more about you and reach out to you, and I think they should, what you do is so needed. Oh my gosh. Especially, I know you moved here from someplace else, but especially where you are now, there is a great contingency of people who totally need what you do. So how can they reach you? Well, they can reach me via LinkedIn. However, Susan Schwartz is a common name, as common as Mary Smith sometimes. So I've put the G uh, for my middle name in there, Susan G. Schwartz. They can also find me on Amazon because in addition to writing the Creating a Greater Whole, I was asked to be part of a group, I'm a co-author, of a book called Turning Ideas into Impact, Insights from 16 Silicon Valley Consultants that came out this past uh, December, January timeframe that you can find on Amazon. So you can look me up on Amazon or you can reach me directly at my email, sgs at riverbirchgroup.com, R-I-V-E-R, B as in boy, I-R, C as in Charlie, H, G, R, O, U, P as in Paul.com. Perfect. Perfect. So I will, as most of my audience knows, put together a blog about you. And in that blog, we will have photos. We will show you outside the workspace. We will show your headshot, your bio. But I would also like to put your book covers, all of the books that you've ever written, and I'll inc include a hyperlink to Amazon where they can purchase the books or read more or learn more about the books. Um, you are one fascinating woman, and I am super honored that you are on my show today. And I hope that we can someday meet for a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and continue our conversation face-to-face. Uh, -face. Well, thank you. And I am honored as well that you invited me to be on your show, on your podcast. Thank you. you bet. All the women I and the allies, I, I also host male allies who are with us in this fight for equity in the workplace. But all the women I have on my show are remarkable. Some are better known than others, which is still in keeping with the purpose of the show is to shine a light on those who are lesser known. 
but they are all remarkable. And um, so I, I'm, you're in great company. Let's just put it that way. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, folks. Well, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time at our podcast. We record daily at 10 o'clock a.m. And then I'll put this out there on the World Wide Web within 48 hours. So look for that. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>